This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On today's edition, with a lengthy ban on the cards, has Paul Pogba played his last football hand. Also, Germany never sacks its coaches. Well, they do now, but how did they beat France afterwards? And Lyon are waiting for Gattuso. Will he come or will he not? Paul Pogba. What can we say? He's got himself into some more bother. It's convoluted. But Andy, would you mind just for the benefit of those who don't know what's going on with him at the moment, just sum up how he managed to get himself in the hot water he's in? Well, of course, it's been a very frustrating time for him, all told, since he's arrived back at Juventus last summer. Um, He worked very, very hard uh, this close season um, on his his fitness to to get himself ready. He's had a a few little physical issues, but um, he's managed to play a couple of games as substitute. And then uh, came the news out on on Monday that he'd uh, failed a a drugs test. He'd uh, tested positive for um, an unusually high amount or a a, a 
band type of testosterone. So uh, we've got to emphasize we're still waiting for the B sample. Um, his France teammates after the game against Germany um, on Tuesday night came out quite strongly in, in, in defense of him, um, particularly uh, Kingsley Comar and uh, Didier Deschamps, who said he'd been speaking to him as, as, as well. But with everything that's happened for Pogba over the last couple of years, his difficult end to his Manchester United career, um, hardly playing at all for Juventus uh, since he's re-signed, missing the World Cup, um, being the victim of an extortion attempt, um, and all sorts of other things that have affected him. It's just the, the, the latest blow, and you just wonder when it's going to start going right for him. Yeah, Nicky, I, I saw you nodding away at some of what Andy was saying there. A Andy summed it up in the end there. It's been one mess after another that he's gotten himself into for whatever reason or, you know, he's found himself in, I should say, because not necessarily him getting himself into it. Does it feel to you, if he does get this lengthy ban, it will be the end of his career, wouldn't it? Does it feel like that for you? If you were to receive a four-year ban, which is the sort of top end of what could happen and it doesn't get over, overturned or anything like that, then yes, I think it's it's very possible that's going to be the end of his football career. And I, I, I'm glad you sort of corrected yourself there, Dotton, about things he's got himself into and, and what's happened to him because it's, it's hard to pick those two things apart sometimes in Paul Pogba. There's been some objectively horrendous things have happened to him uh, off the pitch, being held uh, at, at gunpoint and, and people threatening him, extorting money out of him. Uh, he's had people breaking into his house while his children are in the house. He's had he's had some some objectively awful things happen that, that you absolutely can't blame him for. Um, and there's a sort of concurrent but separate thread, which is his career and, and injuries. And, and things are much harder to discern with with that area of what is his fault and what isn't his fault has he made decisions that haven't helped him and and this doping case i suppose is um is going to be the latest of those those situations because first of all we need to to stress and reiterate that at time of recording we're still waiting for the results of the b sample um so when you are found to have something in your doping sample that you shouldn't, in Pogba's case, non-endogenous testosterone metabolites, which is just basically testosterone that shouldn't be there, um, then you have the right to have your B sample tested. That's taken at the same time. When you do a doping test, those samples are taken together. Um, and the anyone who has a, a doping test fail has three days to request that to be that B sample to be tested, and then it's a seven-day or up to seven-day wait for that sample to come back. So... Right now, we haven't had that yet. But um, the sort of reports that are out there that were in Gazette de Sport this morning and now some other places have picked them up as well are that Pogba thinks if there is something wrong in his sample, it's from a nutritional supplement that he um, took from uh, a US doctor that he um, relies on for supplements and he um, may have been given something that contained a something that he shouldn't have taken, that he was unaware of. That's the report that was in Gazette de la Sport this morning, and which I think has now been published by ESPN as well. So it's it's hard to know where blame lies in that situation, if that is what comes out. But it feels even more delicate to sort of um, quite sort of tread around this stuff, when, as I say, we're still waiting 
the um, and Pogba is still waiting for that B sample to be tested as well. Yeah, and Nicky quite rightly made the distinction between the footballing career of Paul Pogba, which is how most of us first uh, got to be fascinated by this incredible young player as he was that Manchester United let go. But Manchester United do play a pivotal part in the trajectory of his career, Andy. I thought that when he returned to Juventus last summer, that he was in his happy place. But it didn't turn out to be that at all, did it? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, when when you hear about a player in, in, in this doping case, um, getting something from outside the circle, you're thinking, what is the club's role in this? You know, the, the club need to be aware of, and of course, all his... France teammates backed him up and said this isn't something Paul would do deliberately. Paul's the last person who would do something like this deliberately. That that's not a defence when it comes to it. Now that that would get him off the higher part of the ban, but it, he it would still leave him open to a ban because you're considered responsible for what goes in your own body. Now, I think the relationship of trust between Juventus and Pogba here is 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 very important because. Um, from the very start, as you said, Dotton, it should have been a new start for him. I think you could argue it starts to go a little bit wrong for Paul Pogba when he becomes the most expensive player in the world and when he goes back to Manchester United. And they bring him as the most important player, uh, the most expensive player in the world. And they don't have a plan how to use him. It's just, right, you're going to fit in somewhere in midfield. If you get the most expensive player in the world, you've got to build your team around him, surely. And no one's calling him blameless for what happened at Manchester United but I think that was a bad start and then him returning to Juventus is a bad start because he gets this knee injury in in pre-season and the Juventus doctors want him to have an operation to sort it out he wants to keep hope alive of making the World Cup in Qatar so he wants to opt for a more conservative treatment and immediately this creates this sort of gulf between medical department and player which is quite dangerous for a relationship actually between player and club and once you've got to that point where he's missed what might be his last World Cup and playing for France is so important to him everything that's kept his reputation alive through those difficult times at Manchester United in in that second spell after he returned there um, for that huge transfer fee his status with France was always different. And that's why, in terms of chronology, obviously there's no good time for this to happen. But for it to happen this week and for there to be an international the next day for his his French family to come out in support of him, it's actually quite a, a positive thing for him. And I'm sure that will have given him some comfort as well as all the texts and calls and WhatsApp messages that he's received from the likes of uh, Antoine Griezmann, who's very close to him. Obviously, Adrian Rabiot from elsewhere in the French squad has seen at close quarters exactly how much he's sacrificed in in this preseason in terms of holidays and time off so he could get himself in a a position to play and and, and be somewhere near his best for, for Juventus all over again. But a lot of this does seem just poor timing, really. And poor fortune. Nikki, you will know both sides of the perspectives of Paul Pogba, the Italian side and the English side. And, you know, over 
in the well, with regards to the Premier League, people have a perspective of Paul Pogba that he had moments of brilliance, but um, he had maybe. I mean, I'm using my words carefully, but nevertheless, a lot of people think he had a bit of an attitude about him. I wonder how the Italians regard him. Yeah, I think it's definitely different ideas about him in Italy and England. And certainly when he signed for events again last summer, there was a, a real expectation that this was the pog back moment, that he was going to come back and, and be able to have a triumphant last chapter in his career. I I think sort of the attitude stuff is really interesting to me because if you remember how he got his breakthrough Juventus and we are talking a long time ago it's 2012 and and people change through their lifetimes obviously but that was an Antonio Conte team at Juventus and Antonio Conte had a very set very strong midfield he had um Andrea Pirlo he had Claudio Marchisio and he had Arturo Vidal all of whom are perfect Antonio Conte players as well as being very good players so you've got a midfield three that that isn't easy for Pogba to crack and what happens is is simply that his, his talent demands it he plays so well when he gets on the pitch he's so brilliant the goals he scores the pass he plays that that ultimately um even Antonio Conte who is not a manager with any patience for players who won't work hard who won't do what he asks them to who won't play to his system um is is sort of unable to ignore Pogba and and um ends up completely reshaping his team from a 4-3-3 into a 4-3-1-2 so he can have Pogba in it. And Pogba is this sort of absolutely essential piece of a team that restores Juventus to the top of Italian football after those years in the wilderness post-Calciopoli that launches the beginning of this nine years of, of unbeaten Serie A titles. He was there for four Serie A titles. He he plays with them in a Champions League final. He he really was a, a superlative player in, in that period. And I think um, really sort of perhaps the only time in his career at club level when he's really looked like he's just exactly in the role that he should be playing box to box, not being asked to be either a defensive midfielder because he's big and physical and he can do that, which he's done sometimes for France. Sometimes for France, he has been put into that role and done it well. But at club level, um, asking him to do that in a sustained way is, is always felt like it's wasting something off him. And, and so, frankly, just pushing him forward and playing him as a number 10. He is someone who, and his best, was was doing that work of using those legs and, and getting up and down the pitch and yeah, he was he was a brilliant player at Juventus, and I think everyone when he came back last summer was hoping he could be the same. Even this season, in the very few minutes he's played, he scored a goal against Empoli that everyone thought, "Oh wait, that's Pogba, he's back," which ended up getting disallowed for for an offside by by Dusan Vlahovic. So, I think um, I, I I think the range of his talent um, is definitely sort of more firmly cemented in the consciousness in Italy and I think people um, remember a player who as I say had that ability to get up and down the pitch but also who scored a number of outrageous goals from outside the box and and frankly whose passing range I think really caught people off guard because he could play a ball over the top just as well as, as Pierre could sometimes. But it does seem Andy from what you said earlier that the French team knew who to put around 
Pogba, almost in the way that Nicky was saying there that uh, Antonio Conte reshaped Juventus to suit Pogba, that that was what was missing from what many of us saw of Pogba. He wasn't in a team that had the right people around him. Is that fair? Not always, actually, because I think the the, the 2018 World Cup came at a a certain time for, for, for him. I guess when... Certainly in, in old times, you would have said that would have been the prime years of a, a, a football player. And the way it was put to him, a couple of the senior players in that team, including Blaise Matuidi, said, look, it's, it's not about your perfect conditions. Um, we need you to do a job for the team. Um, we need you to sacrifice your ego. And um, they gave him the, the, the dad chat, really. And it worked. They, they they got him on board, and and Pogba was absolutely vital for France in 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 2018, because in 2016, when playing a more defensive register, there, there was a, a sort of switch when Didier Deschamps went from seeing um, Paul Pogba as the most important player in his team to seeing Antoine Griezmann, who's actually a very good friend off the field, as the most important player in the team, and deciding he would make the team work for Griezmann and not for Pogba. Now, Pogba, when you get to the Euro 2016 final, he's a little bit like, I think I described it before, as like a caged tiger. Like, he's, he's doing that defensive register quite well, but there's a feeling that he can do so much more. And so I guess what changes between 2016 and 2018 is those senior players start to talk him out around and say, look, man, we need you, but we need you in a slightly different role to the one that you actually want to want to flourish in. Now, presuming, and this is a presumption at this point, that he gets to shoot his shot again with Juventus, I guess where he ends up is... Is he in that situation where he has to make that sacrifice again to to make it work? Because I think from a Juventus perspective, obviously no one wants this to to happen to Paul Pogba, but they did try and get rid of him in the in the, in the summer. Um, he has been almost a problem since he's accrued these injuries that they they can't solve because he's on a massive salary and because of the career resurrection of Adrian Rabio. He's occupying that space to the left of the midfield three where ideally Pogba would like to be. So how you fit them in the same team and get the best out of both of them, I think is a a reasonable question. I guess you could argue like some of the younger midfielders who are are coming up in in that Juventus team, maybe they fit around him. But at some point, if Pogba was to make it again with Juventus, if we put together whatever's going to happen with this doping case to one side... I think there's going to have to be sacrifice from him again because, of course, Juventus had Rabio running out of contract at, at, at the end of last season. They've extended him for a year. They want to extend that for longer. So clearly, Rabio is a piece that, well, that Max Allegri loves and they want to move forward with. So presuming Pogba gets past this, presuming he's fit, do they have to find another way to reinvent him? And does he have to find a way to reinvent himself, Nicky? Yeah. Um... It's it's a fair question. I think there's not sort of been a chance to see him squished into this Juventus team yet, and and mm. and what that would look like. Um, it's it's a question that kind of um, crosses over to some extent with the um, questions that I'm asking about the Italy team that I saw first two games under Luciano Spalletti over the last few days, because a lot of it revolves around whether or not you believe Manuel Locatelli can be 
a regista in the middle of the pitch for them? Do you think that Locatelli can be what Pirlo was in effect? Because he's bounced back and forth between those roles of, of being a, a, a mezzala. And mezzala is, sorry, I'm using these words all the time. and realise that even though it's on the continent, not everyone may be familiar with those 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 terms. A regista is your orchestrator in, in the middle of the park, the one who's... Um, you know, your quarterback in effect, sitting at the back of the, the midfield and, and playing the passes and and conducting the play. Whereas the mezzala is literally it's a half wing, um, but it's it's the left and right of a midfield three typically, and and often much more of a box to box role. Exactly as Andy says, Rabia, who's supposed to be going, fills the role that Pogba t- typically has at Juventus. And so, could you play Rabia and Pogba together either side of Locatelli, perhaps? Um, but it is a question that Juventus have sort of been wrestling with, um, with Pogba. Would he even fit if he was healthy? He hasn't been healthy. They had been trying to negotiate with him to 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 reduce the terms of his contract. And in a very cynical way, we could say that if this situation unfolds, that Pogba is going to be banned. And uh, if the ban is upheld, Juventus effectively have the right to 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 reduce or cut his contract with them because they can say he's broken the terms of it so potentially parting ways with with Pogba might be exactly kind of the outcome that Juventus um would look for in this situation yeah 162 minutes is what he played in the last season um it's not a good return any way you look at it but as Andy was saying earlier on and you as well Nikki injuries have plagued him and you wonder the older a player gets whether you you can uh, move on from those injuries or whether they'll always be there yeah I mean it's it's worth sort of adding into that as well when we're talking about um that situation for events you're talking about one of the the best played players in all of Serie A like there's someone who's played that few minutes and who's drawing a salary that's um maybe one or two players in the division make more than him perhaps Lautaro Martinez Inter um, I, I think um, I think Chalanoglu might be ahead of him I'd have to check the numbers um, but he's he's one of the most paid, best paid players in all of Serie A and he's, he's not on the football pitch almost at all in, the, in, the, in a year and a half well not a year and a half in the year and one month of the new season since he joined Juventus Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
With regards to the international break, I think one of the surprise moments, Andy, was the sacking of Hansi Flick. We, a lot of us, have focused on the historic side of it, that Germany doesn't sack its uh, managers. And for a moment, you thought, oh, here it goes. It's all falling apart for Germany. You get beaten by Japan. But then out of nowhere, they go and beat the World Cup finalist France 2-1. How come? Yeah, I think there's um, some perspective to be had. Um, Firstly, I think you look at um, the fact that France had a a very depleted side, Um, inexperienced um, centre-back with uh, debutant in uh, Jean-Claire Todibo, um, who made the mistake that led to the second goal um, scored by Leroy Sané, um, and Kylian Mbappe sat on the bench all evening. Having said that, the, the other side of it, is the fact that I think you go back to Ilko Gundogan's uh, press conference beforehand. Um, he, he'd written quite a nice um, farewell message to Hansi Flick on on socials, and then he said, "Look, we we let him down. Basically, it, it's it's us. We let him down. And whether this is, I think, part of the reason in getting rid of him um, was not only Flick's work as a coach." It's definitely felt that the, the players needed to kick up the arse, and th- this is an almighty one because, as you say, it's um, an, an action without precedent, really. Um, as we said on um, OTC Reacts with Archie on, on on Monday, the only member of the DFB, the German FA's board, who was not in favour of sacking Hansi Flick between these two very challenging matches between uh, Japan and France was Rudy Fuller. Uh, the, the director general because he knew he would have to step in and coach the team against France when he hasn't coached anyone since Bayer Leverkusen in 2005. So he did have this sort of edgy look, Fuller. I mean, Fuller's got undeniable star quality, but he did have this look of sort of competition winner on the touchline as if, well, I'm not really sure where, where, where to put myself and, you know, let's make sure I hug everyone in the right places and encourage everyone in the, in, in the, in the right way. He looked very, very fidgety indeed. And he got a kind smile from his, his former Marseille teammate, uh, Didier Deschamps at, at, at the end. Um, but I think it was not just the opposition that they needed with France, as we said, having a, a bit of a night off to a certain extent, but, but still is, is far improved from Germany. It was that sense of, right, okay, we really owe the coach, the previous coach and the country something after everything that's happened recently because they've been on a poor run for a while and it has made that departure of Hansi Flick inevitable. Yeah, can they can they turn things around? We're exactly nine months away now uh, from the start of the Euros as we speak now. Can Germany turn things around by then, do you think, to to be real challengers for the Euros next time around? There's, there's some questions about just the the talent in that squad, aren't there, Andy? I mean, I think when you sort of mm. think of the the German national team right now, it doesn't have in the way that in the way that the best teams in the world have those immediate names that just jump out to you as as world class talent. I mean, yes, there's some players who've who've who are not nobodies, right? Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, those are players who can who can do something for you for sure. Um, but there's a lot of sort of players still involved who you're sort of 
wondering if they'll be playing in a, a France or a Spain or another team that's really aspiring to be the best in the world. I mean, when you see that Emre Chan is still playing after his up and downs over the last few years, you think, is that someone who the squad should be relying on? When you see Havertz being an almost indispensable figure and you think that how lots of Arsenal fans feel about Kai Havertz so far in his time at Arsenal, these aren't the names that that scream out certainty of a, of a positive future. Now, I think there's lots of other nations in Europe that um, that could say the same. I think it's only a very small pool that you could actually put in the opposite camp of of really having those talents. And I think France stand out above all of them, which is why it's quite interesting that then Germany went and beat France immediately after sacking Flick. So perhaps sometimes it isn't about the names after all. I, th- I think you're right. It's about personality as, as, as well as talent. And where they seem to lack at the moment is leaders. I, I mm-hmm. think the fact that um, after... Havertz struggles at centre forward against Japan for the France game. They bring in Thomas Muller, who is winning muscle memory, basically, mm. into that that sort of false nine role. And he scores the opener and celebrates it like it's a big goal in a Champions League final knockout <laughs> in, in the first couple of minutes. You know, I think that is something that, that, that sets the tone, really. And um, he, was, he was a bullion in the post-match afterwards as, as, as well. Now, I think that he'd been... He'd been binned from the squad and had relatively recently come back. He was only actually called into this squad because uh, Niklas Fulkrug, who is the big centre forward who they really missed, actually made a good impact in the in the World Cup when he, he got his little turn. Um, he, he did well when he came on against Spain and scored the equaliser, of course. Um, I think it shows where they're really lacking in depth in some positions in the fact that Fulkrug got injured on his... What, 15 minutes worth of debut for Borussia Dortmund the previous Friday and all of a sudden they're stuck mm. and I, I love Fulkrug but you can't be stuck just because he's injured you know mm. so that they sort of ended up in this picking Thomas Muller in this situation uh, bringing him into the squad by default and then picking him for this game against France by default and he, he seized the opportunity with both hands but it underlined really what they've been missing now you, you talked about um, Nicky about um, Zane and Gnabry who, on their day, both terrific. And mm. if you look at Serge Gnabry's goal-scoring record for, for Germany, it's, it's, it's peerless, really. But how often does that, does that day really happen? I think that's the question. You know, you look at the second goal that Zane scored, and as we said, Todibo gave the ball away, but it's a great pass from Havertz. And the way that Zane just effortlessly glides around the back and, and puts it in. I think Vish said on, on, on the ramble... Um, yesterday you look at him and you think why is he not one of the best players in the world Mm. and I think part of that is you know he's been publicly rebuked by um, Uli Hernes by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge by various other people for not really not really engaging off the ball which I think is a big problem for this Germany team anyway like defensively they are a, a shambles and really the way that they got past France last night, part of that was due to Antonio Rudiger, when we're talking about personality, playing on the very cusp of legality for, for most of that game, which I realise mm. is what he does. That is part of what he does and part of what makes him so good. Mm. Um, but you think you've got that, you've got no real defensive leader on the whole, you've not got proper fullbacks, and how many of those players are good enough when they... They lose the ball. Now, in the short term, of course, a little bit of an injection of Muller and a little bit of professional pride 
that makes a difference. I'm still not convinced they're ready for the, the Euros next summer. I, th- I think it's. A, I think perhaps you've, you've nailed it much better than I was doing, Andy, about it not just being about quality of players, but about the, the, the leadership part of players. And when I think about Germany, I think that, you know, of course, everything is generational. So you, you, you think of teams that you were more growing up with or, or that were more sort of... Um, uh, prominent when you were forming an opinion of a team but when we think of Germany as this sort of inevitable juggernaut which I think is often the the, the image of yeah. German football that's sold in England um, you go back to I mean in, in in the immediate sense I want to go back to yes a younger Thomas Muller but also Bastian Schweinsteiger Philipp Lahm these are players who weren't just good footballers they're players you think of as being personalities within that team and who you think well that's just a player I expect to end up on the winning side they just they just are and and I can keep ticking that back because before that it can be Lothar Mateus it can be Oliver Kahn and and those that's what's missing that's what feels like it isn't there at the moment agreed I think you look at say the side that got to the 2002 World Cup final how many of those players talent wise would get into this current team not mm. loads of them but they just had a certain you know indefinable we will not give in a certain schwein's swagger about them (laughs) exactly Uh, i struggled with that one but you say setting a tone i wonder what kind of a tone a flock of geese or showing players a video of a (laughs) flock of geese a video that's now viral sets in terms of a tone when you're looking for leadership and everything else that's missing i mean i tend to think that when we're talking about leadership when he took over Bayern and by the way, let's not peddle this rubbish line about, oh, well, he inherited Bayern. Of course, he won the treble with them. Only two German teams have won the treble ever, by the way. And he did it in such style with Bayern. And he did change that team. He inherited them in November when they just lost 5-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt. They were seventh in the table, um, as I think we were saying on um, OTC Reacts. And he, he did do an incredible job there. But he did an incredible job with a dressing room full of winners. Now, this is something that maybe this Germany lack. And when you're talking about shaping young players, you look at the coaches on the market, maybe in, maybe at least in the short term, Julian Nagelsmann is the, the, the perfect one. I mean, I think he's... Of the, of the coaches, the, the German coaches that are on the market, he is and the ones that have been linked with the, the, the role. He's, he's definitely the best actual coach but also i think when you talk about bringing a spirit of invention um demanding buy-in communicating with the players i mean he famously gave that quote didn't he that you know management is 15 percent coaching and 85 percent social competence i think that is something that in the short term and it needs to be short term because as you said dotton nine months they haven't got time and Partly this decision has been because Flick has performed badly and Germany have performed badly. But in another situation, maybe they'd have been able to let it play out, suggest solutions. But no, it's like full-on panic. It's like we cannot embarrass ourselves in a home tournament. Well, let's talk about what Leon fans like yourself, Andy, are hoping for a... Um, Gennaro Gattuso to come and take charge of Leon, but it's all down to whether he comes or not to Leon. Apparently, is down to perhaps the most influential person in Portuguese football. H- how does that work? Well, um, since 
Bradley Barkler, actually, um, the, the young uh, Leon Wide player, left for PSG just before the transfer deadline. Um, it has been underlined what a close relationship uh, John Textor, the relatively new owner of, of, of Lyon, has with uh, Georges Mendes. Um, Georges Mendes, uh, he signed Barkler to his stable earlier this summer. And I think at that point, Barkler was brilliant in the back end of last season, by the way. There was a little bit of uh-oh, because you don't sign with Georges Mendes if you're hoping to negotiate a contract extension at Leon. I think it is fair to say. Um, that move ended up going through, and look, Leon did really well out of it, even though like some people at the club were a bit non-plus that uh, one, of, one of their fine young players got sold on. I, I think if you get offered 50 million euros to someone who's had a very good half season I think you have to take it in, in most positions but it underlined the fact that there is this growing closeness closeness between uh, Mensch and uh, Textor now of course Textor since deciding that Lyon were going to bin Laurent Blanc spoke to a lot of different coaches um, without a satisfactory resolution so um those in the mix included uh, Graham Potter, Oliver Glasner, formerly of Eintracht Frankfurt, who won the Europa League with them and left them at the end of last season. Even Christoph Gautier, although he has quite a delicate legal position at the moment um, for off-field issues of which we are, are well aware. And so they end up talking to Reno Gattuso. Now, I tend to think the way he's viewed as a coach is partly due to the fact that he's such an enormous personality as a player and people just assume he's going to be a shouter. I think he's more than that, even though what he actually is as a coach is not entirely proven at, at this point in, in time. But of course, when it looks like Gattuso's getting the job, it looks like Mendes is, is pulling the strings. Now, as we record, it, it looked yesterday morning on Tuesday... Uh, Gattuso had given his verbal accord to take over at Lyon and Textor has not quite inked it. Whether he's hoping for someone better to come along, whether he's thinking that Mendes's shadow is over it a bit too much and publicly it looks like they're in Mendes's pocket. And bear in mind, you know, he's all, already doing very well out of Barcelona at the moment. He's, he's close with their sporting director, Deckel. He's had massive influence on PSG. In, in, in the last year, year and a half. And of course, one of his big clients, uh, Manuel Ugarte, went, went there for a, a lot of money in the in the summer. He's involved in the, uh, the transfers to the Saudi Pro League as, as, as well. So Leon are not in a class of one at the moment. But in terms of this relationship between Gattuso and Mensch, Nicky, we've been here before, haven't we? Yeah, but I, I think the um, that sort of thing of... Appointed or not appointed, just immediately calls back to his time at Fiorentina in my mind when I think they hired him in late May and had said goodbye to him by the 17th of June. So technically he was their manager for a few weeks, but never really um, to the point of, of doing anything. And it all came back to the relationship with Mensch, with, with, with the, the agent. It came back to um, the uh, the question of supposedly uh, Gattuso asked the club to sign three players, uh, two of whom were represented by Mendes, and not only by Men by were well, the players represented by Mendes, the, play the clubs that owned those players also were represented by Mendes in, uh, in their transfer dealings. And so you had this awkward situation um, where you've hired a manager whose agent is also the representative of players you're supposed to be signing, as well as the club's... Um, 
you're signing them from and where you can see quite transparently the clubs who are selling stand to be making uh, profits that suit their bottom line from these deals. And Fiorentina essentially turned around and said no and very rapidly that relationship came unstuck. And I think this is the, the thing here. People have, or a lot of people um, watching the game have a very particular view of Georges Mensch. But I think what we have to underline is that football generally is very bad at seeing, let alone dealing with conflict of interest. It's, mm. it's not like normal business like mm. that. And there are so many things that are conflict of interest that are just allowed to, to fly. Now, I find it interesting how differently Georges Mensch is viewed in Portugal, for example. Now, recently he was given um, uh, the, the the president's uh, special prize in um, the awards for the Portuguese Liga uh, for 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 the for the year, and it was something that really touched him. Actually, I don't think I'd ever seen George Mendes like that. He, he was he received this prize, and he, he said he was so proud to uh, represent Portugal on the international stage, and he was he was a bit teary and uh, uh, emotional and stuff. I think that's it. It's almost like when people in Portugal, a lot of people in Portugal, see George Mendes making these big deals, succeeding, um, and he's unlike really any other agent, actually, even amongst the super agents that football's ever seen because he's so omnipresent, because his deals are so profitable. It's like the American dream, Really, mm. you know, the, the, the fact that this guy started out um, representing one bloke because he managed a nightclub in, in Guimarães in northern Portugal. He becomes friends with with Nuno, um, now of um, now of, of Wolves and um, Al Itihad coaching fame, but then, of course, a, a reserve goalkeeper and that he built it very organically from there. It, it is it is like a like a Hollywood film. In a, in a certain way. So I guess the, the way they would look at it is it's not really something that Mensch is, is doing. He's just very successfully profiting off the fact that football never sees these conflicts of interest. Well, it's, yeah, and, and uh, Andy's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just an individual who's learned how to work the system to the maximum of his benefit. And the question is just then, if you're a football club hiring one of his um, clients, is it going to be to the maximum of your benefit? And lots of football clubs have done very well out of that relationship because he does uh, generate them profits, because he does bring them players who who help them to win things. Um, but you, you're, you're dancing, to some extent, you're dancing with the devil, aren't you? Juventus thought they were onto a very good thing when they got him to to bring Cristiano Ronaldo their way. And with hindsight, I'm not sure everyone thinks that was the right decision. I, I'm not sure whether <laughs> you both uh, have a somewhat begrudging respect for the man or whether you think uh, his influence is a bit too much in football. Uh, I can't tell. Well, I, I think it's it's, it's 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 one of those things that if he's if he's representing players, fine. Like lots of agents get a bad rap. And of course, there are bad agents out there, just like there are um, bad coaches, bad players, some some might say. But I, I think everyone who's ever, any anyone of like even moderate profile who's 
ever had him as their agent or has been um, part of uh, Jesterfoot, his agency, and looked after by one of his proxies, has never had any complaints. They've they've put their career in his hands and they've they've done very very well out of it. And as Nicky says, if you go back to Atletico Madrid when uh, they won the league first under Simeone in 2014, that that was a hugely Mendish authored team. I guess though. You, as as a supporter, you want your football club to, to, to go in with its eyes open, really. And that's not always the case. And maybe this is something that John Texter's realising the optics of. And maybe he's not, but, you know, it, it, it seems that that might be the case, that he's like, OK, it's good to have a relationship with this guy, but, you know, does that quickly become all-consuming? And does it become something that doesn't work for the interests of the of the club because when you've got an agent who's a de facto sporting director as he has been at Atletico in the past and as he has been at Porto and as he has been at, at, at Wolves that that's something that can't be good for the club the club needs some sort of independence someone someone who the club is their bottom line rather than player moves mm-hmm. and contract extensions is their bottom line because that's not always in the interest of the of, of the club, is it? So, look, it's, it's clubs that allow and for decades have allowed these relationships to develop. It's just that he is someone who's so incredibly successful and someone who's absolutely insidious in in, in the game that I think to to run a club and have no dealings with him whatsoever. I mean, you know, you had a previous president of. Um, sporting in, in, in Portugal and this was a big thing for a Portuguese club Bruno de Cavalli saying look I'm, I'm not doing any business with him at all ever and that was a really bold thing to to say at the time it's an interesting camp as well though Andy for the for the individuals for Gattuso is he putting his career too much in the hands of someone who clubs see that baggage when they when they work with him I'll tell you one thing that football fans uh, well, at least those fans of clubs are keen on getting back to. And that is the season that they started a few weeks ago. Now that the international break is over, we would all like to hear some games of the week recommendations from you. One each, if you don't mind. Andy? Um, I am going to go for Friday night. I don't often choose from Friday night, but look, it's a biggie. Um, we were talking before we uh, started recording. For some reason, uh, the can-can's been in my mind all all this week. Um, Maybe we'll be hearing it a few times on Friday night. Bayern are hosting Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen are maybe the most exciting side to watch in the Bundesliga at the moment. Uh, Xavi Alonso's done an unbelievable job uh, since he's he's, he's arrived there. and they've they've done brilliantly this season, given that they lost their their, their best player, Moussa Diaby. So um, he's been the de facto replacement. Victor Boniface has been brilliant so far. He's he's really one to watch. So look, whatever happens here, I think it's going to be a, a super exciting game. The last time I was in Munich, I went to a really incredible Italian restaurant. So I think that I am going to say this will work with a calzone oh nice and easy and why the can-can do you eat the calzone with the can-can while doing the can-can well the 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 the, the can-can is what um buy and play when they score 
and they always play it for like a little bit too long, a little bit too loud <laughs> as as well. I mean, if if you're losing a six niller there, it's really no fun. Nikki, um, I. I, I'll pick up Andy's Italian thread. I mean, I, I can't not this weekend, um, even though I host it anyway. Um, but it's it's the, the Milan Derby on Saturday night. Um, not on Saturday night, actually, on Saturday afternoon. Um, kicking off at, at 5 p.m. UK time, 6 p.m. local time. Um, Inter, technically at home, but of course it's San Siro, which they share anyway. I'm super interested to see if um, Inter will start Davide Fratesi, who joined this summer has not started for them yet but did start for Italy and scored both goals in the win against Ukraine um so has has made his case to start the derby and uh yeah I I really think there's a very strong chance these two teams are going to be um the top two at the end of the season they're the top two right now the only two teams in Italy who've started the season with three wins from three so as always a big always a big fixture but extra big this week and um some of your listeners may have picked up from my slightly hoarse sounding voice. I've got a bit of a, more than a bit of a cold. I've actually got COVID at the moment. And uh, I am going to say, therefore, for food, just a nice, simple minister on it. Some veggies. And because it's Milan, of course, you've got to put some rice in there. And the Milanese actually always put a little bit of, of, of pork, a little bit of pork fat in there as well. Uh, but rice, veggies, soup, nice and warm and hearty. That'll do me for this weekend. And we are, of course, socially distanced. Just adding that in. We are. Indeed. <laughs> Listen, thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow, though, for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 